Well, once again, uh, good morning, VRBC. You who are joining us online, we're so glad uh, that we can go on this joyride together through uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians was written from prison, so you would think it would be a gloomy letter, and yet there are all these surprising sources of joy throughout the letter, and that's what we've been focused on in this series. Uh, we've, We've been talking about the joy that comes in this beautiful partnership that we have with Jesus Christ, joy that comes, oddly enough, through humility, through kneeling before God in worship and kneeling to serve one another. And then this morning, we want to talk about joyful priorities. As we pray for these high school seniors a little later on in our service, uh, whether we vocalize this prayer out loud or, or not, I think a lot of us are going to be praying that our graduates prioritize the right things. But of course, priorities are not just an important topic for 18 and 19-year-olds, right? Priorities, that's an important topic for all of us. And so I want us to see in our passage today how sometimes some really smart people can prioritize the wrong things. And, uh, and by really smart people, I'm talking about the, the Apostle Paul and the shift that he made in Philippians chapter 3. So listen as we read Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this. Or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. I want to talk to you about a rather well-known quotation. Like a lot of well-known quotations, people are not exactly sure where this one came from. Some people think it came from a Welsh novelist during the days of the First World War. Some think it came from a a Catholic mystic, Thomas Merton, in the mid-20th century. What what we do know, I, I guess, is in my lifetime, a business writer, kind of a time management expert, 
really helped to popularize it. His name is Stephen Covey, and he uses this well-known image of climbing the ladder of success. You've heard that image before, right? And maybe the first rung is, uh, you know, for a lot of people, it's to, to graduate high school with high marks, and then maybe it's to get in the right college, and then to get a prestigious internship, and to land a job at that great place, and then quickly get a promotion. You, you understand that, that image of, of climbing the ladder. But then Stephen Covey comes along and he, and, and he says this. Uh, we'll put this up on the screen. He says, if the ladder is not leaning against the right wall, every step we take just gets us to the wrong place faster. Here we are climbing, 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 climbing. But if the ladder is aimed toward the wrong goal, we're just going to get farther away faster from where we need to be. Now, a lot of us think that joy resides at the top of the ladder. But how often do we think about the wall? How often do we think about where we will be if we meet all our goals? If all our dreams come true? What I want to ask you about today is what is the wall that your ladder is leaning up against? What is it that you currently prioritize the most? You see, 2,000 years before Stephen Covey, the Apostle Paul had this very experience. He had his ladder up against the wrong wall. And he practically had to fall off one ladder in order to begin to climb another. So if there's anybody who knows about misplaced priorities, it's the Apostle Paul. If there's anyone who can talk confidently to us about true joy, It is Paul. In fact, in the very first verse that we read, Paul announces this theme that we've seen throughout Philippians. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Paul continues to hit this theme of joy. Rejoice in the Lord. We'll talk more about this next week. Find your joy in the Lord. And you know, students, sometimes when you're writing an essay and you keep repeating the same theme and you wonder, is this too much repetition? Uh, If you were to ask Paul, don't you think you're repeating yourself too much in Philippians? You're talking about joy, 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 joy. You know what Paul would say? Nope. He would say, writing about joy is is, is not, is is no trouble for me. I'm going to keep talking about joy. And he says, when I talk to you about joy, that joy is a protection for your heart. The joy that comes in Christ is a safeguard for you. Nehemiah 8 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So he starts off talking about joy, uh, the grand theme of Philippians. But then in verse 2, he changes topics so quickly that it's almost like a record scratch. Uh, He begins to talk about these evil missionaries who have uh, infiltrated the church at Philippi. And uh, they were kind of the theological equivalent of mistreated pit bulls. And, uh, and they are intent on destroying the church through their false teaching. And, and Paul has a lot of hard things to say about them. And maybe we're thinking, what is going on, right? Uh, what is Paul talking about? And I think uh, there's a lot we could say about it, but, but I got 14 verses, y'all. So I got I to gotta, I gotta run. So, so uh, I think that the best way I can describe it is that Paul was, was highly motivated to tell the Christians at Philippi that there are, there are evil missionaries, evil teachers who are trying to get them to prop their ladder against the wrong wall. And that wrong wall is what you might call religious ambition. 
It's, it's competitive religiosity. It's you and me competing with one another for God's affection. It's you and me climbing rung after rung after rung, doing all these good deeds we think will make God love us more, and by the way, will distinguish us from one another. And so these false teachers in the church of Philippi, they were saying, yeah, don't, don't, don't get us wrong, Jesus is fine. <laughs> Jesus is perfectly fine, but if you really want to please God, then you Gentiles need to get circumcised. Everybody needs to eat kosher food. You, you need to put together a resume of good religious deeds so that God will really love you. Now, sometimes when somebody says to you, you're being too competitive, it's because they're slackers, right? Uh, and and uh, maybe they're just not as successful as you, right? And, 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 but, but if you were to say to Paul, uh, or, or, you know, back to Paul, well, well, maybe you're a slacker, Paul. Maybe that's why you don't want us to compete with one another, good deeds for God. And you know what Paul would say to that? He would say, nope, <laughs> doesn't apply to me. Paul wants you to know that he spent so much time climbing the ladder of the wrong wall. He, he's put so much confidence in what he calls the deeds of the flesh, in verse 3, as opposed to what Christ does through grace as opposed to the work of the Holy Spirit that the Spirit does inside of us. And so Paul says, to, to those of you who are climbing the ladder of religious ambition, I want to tell you my story. He says in verse 4, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, look what Paul says, I have more, okay? My resume is longer than your resume when it comes to climbing the wall of religious ambition. Now, what is, what is Paul referring to here? In verses four through six, Paul talks about these rungs that in his former life he was so busy to climb. Now, some of these rungs happened sort of, he didn't, he was kind of born into them, right? Uh, maybe like for some of us, we're, we're born into situations uh, that, that position us for certain things. And, and uh, Paul tells us, first of all, that uh, he was born into the right family. Uh, he, when, when he says he was circumcised on the eighth day, that's kind of code language to say that, that, that he was born to devout Jewish parents who did what the law required. Um, and so, in other words, Paul wants you to know that he, he wasn't a transfer student <laughs> to the Jewish faith. Uh, Paul, as we used to say in Baptist life, was on the cradle roll. Uh, Paul was a charter member. Paul was a day one guy when it comes to uh, the, the Jewish faith. He also wants you to know he has the right heritage. He was a, a full-blooded Israelite. Paul wants you to know that he had the foresight to be born into the right tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin's father, Jacob, loved Benjamin. Kind of makes me think about the foresight I had to be born a Texan. You ever, you ever heard that saying, don't ever ask a man where he's from? Because if he's from Texas, he'll tell you without asking. And if he's not, you don't want to embarrass him. You ever heard that before, right? Sorry about that. Well, Paul wants you to know that he was born into the right tribe. Paul wants you to know he speaks the right language. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. Yes, he's, he's bilingual, he's multilingual. He writes his letters in Greek, which is the language of, of Philippi, of course. But, but Paul was, was born into a Hebrew-speaking family, the language the Old Testament is written in. Now, like I said, you, you could say Paul had no control over you know, the family that he is born into, the language that he learns uh, as, as, as a toddler. And you would be right. 
But Paul says when he did gain control of his life, he kept climbing. Paul, in verse 5, joined the right church, so to speak. He says, as to the law, he was a Pharisee. At that time, there were these religious movements that if you wanted to distinguish yourself, uh, you could join. You could almost think of them as religious fraternities. And, uh, and Paul chose one of the most rigorous fraternities to join. He, he chose the Pharisees. The Pharisees separated themselves from more worldly Jewish people. They tried to practice the Old Testament law in great detail. And Paul was not only a member of this fraternity of the Pharisees, Paul was the president of the fraternity. As to being a religious leader, Paul says he climbed another rung. He was a zealous persecutor of Christians because he thought uh, that, that Christianity opposed everything that he believed in. And then Paul would say finally that he achieved the highest rank. He says, as to righteousness of the law, verse 6, he was blameless. In other words, Paul had a 4.0 in Jewish religious achievement. Never ate bacon, never broke the Sabbath, read God's law constantly, did all that was required of him externally. Paul's priority, he tells us, at one time in his life was to race up the ladder of religious ambition. And I want to pause here for a second. And I want to ask you to think about, is there a ladder that you are climbing as well? And if so, what's the wall? Maybe some of you, when you think about this ladder of religious ambition, you, you think about the shame Maybe that you felt. Uh, maybe when you're hanging out with other Christians, it's like, well, I wasn't born in a Christian family. I didn't learn the Bible as a child. Here I am as, a, as an adult in my grow group. And so many of these people, they, didn't, they never had to work to learn all these stories. And, 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 and they know the Bible so well. And I just am embarrassed that I don't know the Bible as well as them. I wonder if there's some folks here, you've been climbing that ladder of career ambition. Zealously pursuing the next rung at all costs. And the higher you climb, the more disillusioned you've become. I think sometimes even students can feel that kind of disillusionment. I've talked to um, kids before who maybe they got into competitive sports or the arts when, when they were, you know, early age and, and so much of their life has been spent in the back of a minivan traveling across state to different tournaments and performances. And I, I've, I've, I've talked to some that by the time they got 17, they, they were completely burnt out at the age of 17. And right when they were on the cusp of that elusive scholarship that so many people are chasing, it's just like, I'm done, you know. I'm done climbing this wall. I wonder how that image strikes you of climbing the ladder. I wonder how many of you are exhausted. And you see all these people above you. And you're constantly comparing yourself negatively to people who pray more than you or or, or read the Bible more or, 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 or do things that you think you ought to be doing and you just feel so inferior in their presence. When I was, uh, when I was getting my PhD, I ended up in this uh, Sunday school class at our church in Waco that had a, a lot of uh, graduate students in it, including a lot of uh, fellow uh, PhD students. And our class was actually taught by a, a peer of mine, uh, a really sh- sharp guy named Roger. And one day during church, I looked over and I saw Roger reading 
uh, from this book, and it was about this big, and it was red, and I was like, I know that book. That is the Greek New Testament that all of us got in seminary. And I thought to myself, Roger is reading his Greek straight. And I have to have an English Bible alongside to, to kind of go back and forth. And I can remember for weeks, I thought, here, Roger's my fellow student, but he can read Greek so easily, and I have to struggle with Greek. And I can remember being so jealous for, uh, of Roger. And one day, we were kind of at a party, and I was like, hey, man, I just got to tell you, I'm just really impressed with your knowledge of Greek. He goes, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I saw you in church. You had your Greek New Testament. He goes, oh, Larry, it's Greek on the one side, English on the other. All these weeks I'd wasted being jealous of Roger because he was higher up the ladder than me. All these weeks of inferiority. How many times when we're racing up the ladder does somebody need to shout down from the top and say, it's the wrong wall. (laughs) This ladder you're climbing, it's the wrong wall. If that's the case, what's the right wall? Where should our priorities be? Well, Paul will tell you the right wall is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can almost hear his backside hitting each rung as he slides down the ladder. And he looks toward a new wall. I mean, he he doesn't mix words. Verse 7, Paul says, But whatever were gains to me, higher rungs on the old ladder, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. Wasted time. (laughs) Loss for the sake of of Christ. I feel like Paul's saying he's put his old religious resume through the shredder. He put all his old religious trophies in the recycling bin. He no longer rejoices in climbing the ladder of religious accomplishment. All that's in the lost column, he says in verse 8, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, yes, Paul, you know, changing to a different wall, cost him a lot. He used to be the president of his fraternity of Pharisees. Now his face is on a, a wanted poster. Uh, as, as, as far as, uh, you know, Paul used to be the prosecutor and now he's the, the, the persecuted, persecuted by religious leaders as well as the Roman Empire. But as far as Paul is concerned, all those old bragging points, he calls them rubbish. He calls them garbage. One translation, he calls them dung compared to knowing Jesus. What is true joy? Paul says it's knowing Christ. It's being in a relationship with Christ. I know it may sound like a cliche, you know, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, but it's absolutely true. Paul finds his joy in being related to Jesus. When you're in a relationship with someone, you go through good times, you go through hard times, but you go through them all together. And the good times and the hard times bring you closer together. And so Paul can say in verse 10, this is his new ambition. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Paul is now pursuing a relational goal. I want to be where Jesus is, he says. I want to experience what Jesus wants me to experience. That's what I want. You know, I can tell you one of my favorite things about being a pastor for 40 plus years is just getting to know people 
who personify those two verses. Not sinless people, not perfect people, many uh, who made big mistakes, right? But they came to a point in their life where they just said, you know what, I want to know Christ. And they knew Jesus. I don't mean they knew Jesus like they read the Wikipedia entry on him and knew all the dates and facts. No, 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 no. They know Jesus because they're related to Jesus, because, they, because the grace of Jesus courses through their veins, because uh, they, they want the mind of Christ, because they love Jesus, and more importantly, you know, they are engulfed in the love of Jesus. Jesus has rubbed off on them. I've done some of their funerals, and people come out to me afterwards, and they say, often one of two things, they say, I'm so glad I knew them. Or they say, and I hear this a lot, I wish I'd have known them better. They were, they were here in the same worship center the whole time. I wish I would have known them better. That's Paul's new goal. That's the new wall. That's the new ambition. You see, Paul's still ambitious. He's very ambitious. It's just a new ambition. He, he, he puts his ambition this way in verse 12. When, when he speaks of knowing Christ, he says, no, not that I've already obtained all this. Like, like if someone were to say, I want to know Christ, and you'd be like, I've done it. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, I checked that box. I already know. You know. No, not that I've already obtained all this. Not that I know Christ to the level that I want to or I've already arrived at my goal. But then he says, key phrase, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul says, I press on. The Greek word uh, is dioko. It's used several times in this passage. And interestingly enough, it's, it's, it's a word that means um, to chase something in order to capture it. It's ironically the same word that, that is used to describe persecuting Christians. Pressing on to capture. Paul says, in my old life, uh, against a different wall, that was one of the rungs. To press on to capture and to persecute other Christians. But now Paul says, I am pressing on for something else. Now I'm chasing Jesus. And more importantly, Jesus is chasing me. <laughs> I want to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. The message says Paul, that Paul is reaching out for Christ because Christ has so wondrously reached out for me. He's not there yet, but he's pressing on. Verse 13, he's forgetting what lies behind. The successes and the failures of our past, if we, if we dwell on those, it's not going to help us move forward. Paul says, I'm leaving that behind me, and I'm straining forward. Like a runner with great intensity, I'm straining toward the finish line. And then the grand finale of our passage is verse 14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul earning his salvation here in verse 14? By no means. Paul jumped off that ladder a long time ago. No, I think Paul's dreaming of the day when heaven calls out his name and says, hey, everybody, I want you to meet Paul of Tarsus. He did a lot of terrible things in his life, and Jesus forgave every one of them when he died on the cross for Paul. He's, he's our son. He's our brother. He's run his race. Welcome him. Now he can rejoice forever. That's the prize. 
Perfect knowledge of Jesus, perfect fellowship with Christ, enjoying all the things that Christ and I and you did together that have eternal significance in heaven. And I think right here, seniors, is where I want to just speak a specific word to you. I've already said we're so proud of you. And I hope you know we're praying God's best for you. And we hope and pray that you're ambitious for the right things. We want you to be successful, but, but not so much that you climb a ladder and then realize it was against the wrong wall. And so our deepest prayer for you is you'll chase the Christ who's chasing you. You'll press on to know Christ. You've likely heard of, uh, of Dropbox, an online storage company, right? The, the, the founder of Dropbox, a guy named Drew Houston, was giving a commencement speech in 2013 at MIT. And he said this. He says, when I think about it, the happiest and most successful people I know don't just love what they do, they're obsessed with it. (laughs) He said, they remind me of a dog chasing a tennis ball. Right? A dog chasing a tennis ball. You've seen that before, right? Their their eyes go crazy. I mean, the the leash kind of snaps out of your hand. They go bounding off. They'll, They'll plow through whatever obstacles they have to. And he said, I want you guys, you graduates, to be like that. He said, it's not about pushing yourself. It's about finding your tennis ball. It's about finding the thing that pulls you. And then he asked, so what is your tennis ball? Now, if you go home today and somebody says, what was the sermon about? And you say, Pastor Larry said, Jesus is my tennis ball. I've failed, all right? I've I've failed utterly. But I do pray, right? I do pray for you. I do pray for us that we will have that kind of passion that, prof- that, that propels us forward to follow Jesus. I pray that our service of Jesus is not a drudgery. I pray that it is, it is his love and grace that pulls us forward. What ladder? What ladder are we climbing? I was telling somebody the other day that when I started out in ministry, I had certain ministerial ambitions there were things I wanted to achieve. Now, I said, I would have told you at the time, I wanted to achieve them for Jesus. But it's kind of ha- hard to know at this point how much of that was, you know, uh, holy desire to achieve things for Jesus and how much of that was personal ambition and, and even pride wrapped up in it all. And as I look back, I have achieved a few of those things that I set out to do. And I haven't achieved a lot of the things that I thought I would. And you know what? Maybe it's just because I'm old, but uh, those old ambitions are just not nearly as important to me anymore. I finally decided I don't need to do anything big for Jesus. <laughs> you want to know why? Because Jesus is big enough for the both of us. And I think I'd prefer small faithfulness to big ego anyway. So what's, what do I want? I want to finish my race. A lot of people are dropping out of the race. Have you noticed? I want to finish my race. I wonder if anybody's ever heard the story of John Stephen Aquari. He represented his native country of Tanzania in the 1968 Summer Olympics in Mexico City. He was a marathoner. And during the race, he began to cramp up because of the high altitude of the city. And then about halfway through the race, when there was some jockeying of runners for position, Uh, He collided with some runners. He fell badly, injured his shoulder. He wounded his knee, but he kept running. Now, the winner of the race, this is not the winner, this is John Stephen. The winner of the race 
was from Ethiopia, and he finished uh, his marathon in two hours and 20 minutes. John Stephen did not cross the finish line until 65 minutes later. Is that your goal when you're an Olympic marathoner, to finish just an hour and five minutes off the pace? No, that's not your goal. In fact, the sun had already set. There's only a few thousand people in the stadium when he finally gets back to the stadium. Uh, But there was a little small cheer that rose up. And later, a reporter was interviewing him. And he says, you know, you were, you were knocked down, you were injured, there's no way you're going to come close to meddling, uh, not, that, uh, not, not at that pace. Why in the world did you keep running? Why didn't you just drop out of the race? And John Stephen Aquari said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. That's what I want. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for us. Through many dangerous toils and snares I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. Help us finish the race, Lord. Draw us nearer, nearer, nearer to you, Lord. Help us persist through suffering. Show us your resurrection power. Help us to see everything else in comparison as rubbish. Help us keep our eyes on the prize of knowing you. Let's pray. Lord, what a sobering, important word you've given us in Philippians 3. How scary it is, Lord, to be so successful at the wrong goal. How frightening to just get further, faster from where you want us to be. Lord, we confess misplaced ambition. Lord, we lay down um, our sin and our shame and we ask that your grace would flood us, Lord. We ask that your spirit would fill us. We ask that this dream of knowing Christ would inspire us. It would fill our vision. We ask, Lord, for perseverance and strength and faith and hope, not just to start the race, but to continue the race and one day to finish the race. We pray this, Lord, in hope, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.